Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about colleges, university and education overall, and I could not think of anyone better to talk to than Ben Cherry. Welcome, Ben, to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Really great to have you on. Now, if you want to introduce to all our lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what title you hold. Uh, yeah, so my name's Ben Cherry. I am, we call it a study programme manager, so essentially I'm a lecturer, but I manage, I'm like a head of year. So I manage the level threes over at Dutchy College, so I'm in Cornwall. Uh, Dutchy College has a few sites, so I'm at the Stoke Crimson one, but there are a couple of others. I won't get into that now. I've been a lecturer for about seven years in total now, so quite a while. And then within that time of my lecturing, I was also a keeper. And I was a keeper from up to about four years at the very, very most, depending on what kind of roles we count in the zookeeping side of it. Generally, hoofstock keeping. Never thought I'd be a hoofstock keeper. Always kind of thought maybe big cats. Um, but hoofstock keeping was better for like getting stuck in stuff I always found. Absolutely. And you're making my life very easy there, Ben, very much leading the way, which I would fully expect from you. Um, You're alluding to it already. You know, everyone's got those journey moments, those life moments to getting you to where you are today. Do, do you have them? Okay, right. So that typical answer. So I, I interview a lot of students and I always start off with, so why do you want to work with animals? That's always the first question. And I could, <laughs> if I had a pound for every time a student had said to me, because I love animals. I've always loved animals and I'd be a very rich man. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad answer. It's not necessarily the answer I'm going to hear all the time, but it's the answer I'm going to give in terms of, yeah, in reality, we do these kind of jobs because we've always loved animals. But I didn't kind of go into it as early as everybody else did. I was 22 when I started my animal education. Now, that doesn't seem that old, but for me at the time, I felt like the oldest man in the world. So I was 22. I'd done an apprenticeship, just did a bit of air conditioning, didn't finish that, hated it. I did, I worked in a shop for four years, hated that, and thought my life was over because that's what it kind of felt like at the time. And before that school, hadn't done that great, flunked out of A-levels. So I didn't have the best start. I kind of sort myself, yeah, 22, I thought, right, let's go do something I've always really, really wanted to do. And I jumped back into education. I studied in Guildford at Merrisford did my two years level three, got distinctions in every single thing I did, which I'm incredibly proud of. And I have to throw that fact out there. I love to tell my students that and they hate that. <laughs> it was easier then to be fair than it is now. Did my university there as well. And then I suppose I never thought I'd be a zookeeper. It's not something I aim to be. My first animal job was at a small city farm called Dean City Farm. Because I grew up, I say South London, it was a border of South London and Surrey, not a mass amount of kind of animal stuff. There are a few nice zoos around, but wasn't really what I was planning and um, farming was what I was thinking at first started doing city farm realized it's not a farm it's just a, a collection it's like a pansy really um, and they gave me my first opportunity of teaching um, and I thought that's it that's all I want to do I just want to teach I don't want to do anything else and I would volunteer here and there um, for work experience at college and uni I did um, I volunteered at my uni, doing bits of teaching stuff, loved it. And then I started to be like, I started to stall a bit and didn't really kind of know where I wanted to go from there or how I was going to take it any further. And my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, and she kind of pushed me to 
she'd worked at Chesney World Adventures before, but not in a zoo, but in a theme park kind of side of it. And she'd loved it. And she was like, why don't you just get a job there and try? Like, the seasonal jobs, lots of us start in seasonal positions. Um, it's very, very common in our industry. And don't overlook seasonal positions. They are very, very good way in. And so I applied. I applied for a seasonal um, job at the zoo. And I interviewed with Mark Baldwin, who was the manager at Chesington at the time. He's not anymore. because one of them trust stuff now. Um, I can't remember now. He gave me an opportunity of whether I wanted to do the hoofstock team or whether I wanted to do the education department. And now I know a lot of people's answers there would be immediately hoofstock team. But it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. So I went and did the education department. It wasn't really for me, if I'm honest. It was a lot of standing around, kind of doing little tours and things like that. I couldn't deal with just sitting there or standing there all day. Um, so I started to volunteer with the Hoostock team and kind of just went from there. And that's where like my real passion came from wanting to be a zookeeper. And then he yeah, did that for a couple of years. Also, so at one point I was a part-time lecturer and a part-time zookeeper. That was great. And um, because it gave me that opportunity to do something at work at the keeping one day and then go and tell the students the next day. It was just a lot of hard work to keep those two jobs going at the same time um, in terms of where my interest truly lied. And then from there, the season came to an end after two years, a very long season. And then I didn't know what to do. One day Chesington was simply, that's it, we don't need you for a few months. And it's that panic, what do you do? What do you do? Where do you go from there? So I still had to teach in. I was doing that part-time, but I was like, I need more money. I need to do something. And I slightly panicked, kind of thought about it a bit, spoke to some friends over at Whipsies, said that, can you sort out some work experience for me? Because no matter how many jobs I apply for, I'm not even getting an interview. And again, that's something I think a lot of people kind of hit that wall. And I was going to talk about that in a bit potentially as well. And so he sought me that a weekend. I went out there for a weekend. Next job I applied for, I got. Um, so work experience really counts again we'll talk about that later hopefully and then did that for a year it was really far I was driving 70 miles there 70 miles back every day which is for everybody and I literally couldn't do it I was tired all the time I think me being tired affected my work and how I was performing so in the end I thought no that's it I'm going back to teaching and that's where I've been ever since for about five years now so it's been a long long journey because what am I I'm 30 I'm 34 a month so just over 10 years now I've been doing animal stuff. For sure. What a journey. Um, yeah, you've very much been there and, and done it. And I think it's a question you probably get asked a lot from your students, let alone keepers currently in the field. A CV is so essential. What are the, the top tips behind getting those those roles that you've alluded that you've been through and so on and getting your foot in that door? Christ, right. Yeah, CVs, you will find a ton of help out there. And I think finding the right kind of thing for you is really, really important. I suppose three things. Firstly, make it relevant. Like I said, I did a lot of jobs or I've done a lot of jobs over my time when I was in education. I did lots of part-time jobs. Are they on my CV? No. Because are they relevant? Not necessarily, okay? Um, people don't need to know that I had a paper round when I was younger. They don't necessarily need to know that I've done lots of random little time work in a wine shop for a year and a half. Do they necessarily need to know that? No. Um, don't have gaps in your CV. That's really important. But just make sure what you've got in there is relevant and actually supports you as you're going forward. Check that it's in a decent order. I think that's really important as well. Everything should be in date order and starting with the most recent stuff that you have done. Because again, I don't want to read the first thing you've done that you did it 10 years ago, because that's not relevant to the time that links that first point. And then 
I suppose my last thing would be shout your achievements, shout about the things that you have done and apply them to the job descriptions. You should read that job description fully and you should mark key points in it. And then you should apply your skills to it. So you're showing those transferable skills because that's what people want to see. They want to see why you are relevant and that's what your CV and your cover letters for. Some really, really great tips there. Now, for anyone listening, for maybe your younger self looking back at your career so far, what advice would you give? What little gems have picked up along the way to, to pass on? I suppose my big one, and this is because I am a lecturer, it would be education. The education is so important. I have spent a bit of time recently. I had to do a talk um, last week for another college and I was kind of looking for us putting together a presentation. I started looking at job adverts and seeing what they wanted from people. Pretty much every job advert I saw said an animal related qualification. Now it doesn't necessarily say degree. When you read them through, not many of them actually say they want a degree, but they say an animal related qualification. Easiest way to do that, you would go get a level two or a level three um, diploma from a college in animal management is what it tends to be. If you don't understand what level two and level three means, level two is essentially GCSE kind of level. That's for if you haven't got generally either maths or English, you go and do a level two. Age dependent, if you're over 18, you don't have to do level two. Or you go and do level three, which is A level equivalent. Um, it tends to be a two-year course and then you can kind of go from there. For sure, some really, really great advice. And to enhance on all of that we've talked about so far, the CV, the advice, interviewing like a pro. You know, once you've got that foot in the door, you're in front of the person, you're trying to impress. What are the top tips behind interviewing like a pro? I mean, in the zookeeping industry alone, we're known to be, you know, a bit dirty. Obviously, uh, the stereotypical poo picker. But with that, do you wear a suit? Do you go casual or workwear? You know, that these are the simple battles all the way through to what you say and, and so on. You know, it's so essential you get it right. What are your top tips for that, Ben? Well, I suppose this for a question at you a second. Have you ever done an animal interview where you didn't have to wear a suit or you had some kind of practical element to it? So I've actually done both. I've done one interview, which was a, a working interview on the day, working the role and, and seeing how I coped and um, I actually didn't get that role. Uh, we don't always get our roles. No, not at all. And the, the one, the job I'm currently in, you know, I'm very honored to be in the position I am in today. I, I went suited and booted. I went to prove a point and to, to really show my worth. Yeah. Yeah. I would go, what you said, the second point there, the suit. Like I always wear a suit to an interview. If I'm not sure, I contact the place I'm interviewing and ask them whether how formal they want me to be because if they want me to do some kind of practical I will change while I'm there but while you're sitting there and you're doing your interview I feel much more comfortable and professional if I'm wearing a suit now I don't necessarily like wearing a suit I get that we are mucky animal people we don't always want to dress up um, but it shows you in a certain light and it is that kind of standard looking professional side of things um, if you can't afford a suit, look at something different. Maybe just some smart trousers, shirt and a tie, something like that. You don't have to have the jacket. I understand it's not affordable for everyone to go and get these kind of things. Some of the clothing for um, any women and so on. Like it's, it's something smart that you are comfortable in. I wouldn't do anything kind of silly in terms of, I wouldn't come like I was just chatting casually to a friend or something like that. I'd try and keep it really sensible. I suppose my other big thing with interviews is I like to make you laugh. And now that sounds easier than it really is in reality. But I know if I go in an interview, I try not to be nervous. Like, like being nervous is normal. I obviously am nervous. We're always nervous when we're going to interviews. But 
I try and kind of push that back a little bit and I go and be as friendly as I can and go, I'm going to make you laugh. But I don't say that to them, but in my head, I'm, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to make you laugh. Because then if I can make you laugh, you are more at ease, I am more at ease, and we have a better time for it. I think if you go in super, super serious, you kind of put a wall up and it makes people makes it really hard for the person interviewing you to connect with you i think you'll kind of have more trouble in the long run for sure and we've covered obviously the the cv the interview but it's also good to have a general plan in place of where you want to get to from where you've come is it as simple as that ben you know can you create i I guess you could argue a five-point plan or something like that to really target yourself streamline yourself and, and push yourself forward even if we called the first one education having your plan whether you're stepping into your a-level style course and what you're going to do after or you're going on to level two doing a level three and then whether you want to do that degree after now a degree isn't for everybody i did my degree i don't have a full degree i have what's called a foundation degree um which is two years instead of three years which would give you an honors degree i chose not to do the full three years i could have i chose not to because i wanted to work i wanted to kind of get out i was again like i said i was that bit older i'd I was fed up. I wanted to kind of get out and work again. And it's not held me back, not having the honours degree. I've done perfectly well with where I am. Next point, research the career. Have an actual understanding, a true understanding of what being a zookeeper is. Now, I wasn't a zookeeper for a really, really long time. I'm fully aware that there are still bits that I won't know and things that I won't have seen, but I still saw a lot and I still know a lot. And I think having that true understanding, reading, again, the job descriptions, talking to people, I'd link that with like networking. So research career and network. We met through networking, James, like that's how we met. And again, despite the fact that I'm not a zookeeper, I still go to things. I, I reduce the things that I go to quite a lot, but I consistently go to the Abwack Symposium every year. And if you don't know what the Abwack Symposium is, look up what Abwack is. Abwack is the Association of British and Irish Wild Animal Keepers which I'm very pleased I know what that stands for. Um, look you up, become a member. Um, you have to be 18. Um, it's £30 a year. You can claim it back on tax as well. Um, so technically, I don't pay for it because it's good for it enough. You have to apply for that. If you're not aware and you are an Adbike member, go on the internet and do the government thing anyway. It's very complicated. Um, um, but network. I Again, I, I mentioned Joe earlier. Me and Joe have been going together for about seven years now. And we will both tell you the very first time we went, we didn't talk to a single person. Um, one woman spoke to us and she ended up hanging around with us for the weekend. We didn't speak to anyone else because we were so terrified. But we still met one person. That one person counts. And then every year since we've met more and more people. And now we just turn up when we know people. And we have a great time now because we know more people. We speak to other people. I'm not saying you can go to your first event and walk away, mate, being best friends with everyone there. But that one person that you meet, that one person that you talk to, can have a massive, massive difference. Yeah, have a look at the Abwack website for events. The Arza website for events as well. There is lots going on at the moment for all different kinds of animals, different education, research committees and stuff like that. But have a look. And um, so what's that? Education, research and kind of networking. Volunteering. Volunteering could be the next thing to look at. If you are not volunteering, you should be. I understand people have to work and I understand people are in education. Now I'm all for your mental health and well-being and having time to yourself, but you also kind of have to commit. That might sound really bad there. It might sound like I don't understand, but I truly do. When I did my education, I would have weeks and weeks of that day off and it was too much. That's not the right thing to do. And I kind of would just 
end a couple of months, finally have a day off and just be dead for a whole day. And it was the most horrendous thing. But finding somewhere you can volunteer and you can do it in around your working life and you can still have time off is really, really important. Find that thing, approach local zoos. Lots of zoos offer volunteering positions. Um, have a look. And if they're not offering volunteering positions, they should be. Okay, and that's really important. I was going to chat about that in a bit. Next point, practice interviews. If you see a job and you think you are kind of relevant, have a look, apply. doesn't hurt. Okay, people doing the interviews might not be thrilled with me saying that because it might take up a lot of their time, but you have to practice these things somehow. If you can't practice by actually going to interviews, practice with a friend. Practice with someone else you know that might be in someone you've met through your networking who is an industry professional. Ask them if they can give you some tips. Really, really important. And then I suppose the last kind of thing, don't wait for the opportunities to come to you. You should be chasing them down. You should be researching. You should be looking all the time for jobs. Again, like I said, I like post jobs. BRs are post jobs. Very simple and easy to find. Again, I was looking there the other day. BRs have loads of jobs on our website. If you are sitting at home wondering why you cannot find a job as a zookeeper or within the zoo world, and you've not looked at, look, sorry, not looked at that website, you need to, because um, there's lots and lots of good opportunities on there. Really well done there, Ben. I think you've listed most of our careers through that process. I, I couldn't agree more. Volunteering, you know, it's with all animals, kennels, vets, you name it. It's not simply zoo experience, which is needed. It's all very much transferable and, and necessary. Uh, networking, as you said, I, I go into every conference aiming to meet five new people. And, and with that logic, five new people means that I will go away, firstly, knowing five more. But by the end of the day, as you say, as the years go on, you start knowing most of the room, which is, is absolutely cracking. Um, and, and I guess it sums up the whole industry. Determination is key. As long as you keep your eye on the prize and stay determined, you will succeed. Um, and, and as a combination of all of what you've just said, I couldn't agree more combination is you will win you will succeed and get to where you are so just stay determined and it will work out now that is a really nice way to lead us to the big questions it's a part of this episode where we tackle some of the larger questions usually unanswered and we'll try and answer a few along the way ben now the first one i want to ask you do you feel there's a bigger jump between students and the industry than is necessary or, or there should be or do you feel simply that it, we're already as close as we should so I have taught lots of students, hundreds of students, okay, every year. And I have seen a, a nice amount of those go off and be keepers and do stuff. Part of the problem is the amount of jobs that's available. Being realistic with that is really important. And then I suppose the other part of it is, I suppose, the kind of key crux of why we're talking about today is how zoos and colleges communicate. Do our zoos truly expressing two colleges what they want from students are zoos involved in curriculum planning are lecturers and keepers talking to each other about the things that they've got to teach and whether it is actually truly applicable now i understand it's not always easy to change curriculum we can't it's out of our hands the curriculum is set by the awarding bodies we can't just change those things but we can work around things to an extent so, yeah, I would believe there does need to be a bond. Zoos need to be clear. If they're struggling to recruit, which I don't truly know if they are. I don't know. It's not something I've looked into in a while. But are they 
looking for the right things. And then it links to that work experience. We both said kind of how important work experience is on zoos providing opportunities for work experience. I know too many students that I've sent off to places and they come back and they're like, well, I did this chop veg for a week. Now that's a very important skill because learning how to chop veg fast and getting it ready saves a lot of time. But if that's all you're doing with your work experience students, are you teaching them anything truly? The answer is no. They can learn to do veg at home. But can they learn to do those other bits in the zoo at home? No, they can't. So I suppose that's the connection as well in terms of that bond, in terms of what we're providing each other is really important, if that all makes sense. Fingers crossed, only uh, good things ahead. Now, you'll be happy to know that's number one, smashed out of the park. Number two leads us to, to a question more aimed at the educational side, and that is, do you feel that students are currently getting enough to equip themselves for the industry? So this isn't a yes or no answer. And I've sat here and I thought about this one a bit. And I, my quick answer is we're doing the best we can. And in terms of the resources we have, the funding that we have and so on, um, I don't know if people know much about funding the colleges. We are not treated the same as schools. We're not treated the same as universities. When you see things about schools being granted more funding, teachers being granted pay rises and stuff. Lecturers are not involved in that. We don't get that. So there is not necessarily the funding out there for colleges to be able to put things together that we need. It's gone to government. Government aren't necessarily doing much about it at the moment. But in the long term, that is going to affect how we can truly prepare keepers overall or inspiring keepers. Um, and again, I mentioned things like curriculum. The curriculum um, is changing. And so there's two kind of main things. You've got sitting guilds and BTEC. Sorry, sitting guilds and BTEC. And um, we run through sitting guilds, but I have worked through some BTEC as well. And sitting guilds are bringing in what's called the T levels. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, but T levels are called technical levels, and they are much more work experience based. There is a much more of an emphasis on um, students having to complete a set number of hours and complete them as part of their course and then complete kind of work set around that. That does mean, though, that how we are preparing is now soon going to massively link into how we work with zoos. So linking into that first question and what's going to happen. And again, I said about um, if zoos aren't offering work experience, then they should be. Um, those zoos that are offering work experience and maybe are just aren't utilising their students well enough need to start changing that because what we are going to require from our students in terms of the evidence that they're gathering to pass their course, we need the zoos to accommodate that. So it's it's a really, really important thing. I don't, I'm sure those discussions we had in the levels way higher than me, but this is kind of my thoughts on it and my level of thoughts on it in terms of the people I work with and how are we going to actually kind of do that so it, it is really important so yeah simple answer we're doing the best we can are we truly truly really really preparing who truly knows is a bit of a cheap way of answering that as well because again some zoos want different things that's a difficult thing as well is we don't truly know what every zoo wants until we can truly answer that we don't really know. For sure. And I guess linking to that, do you think, you know, we've got internships, we've got apprenticeships, we've got sandwich courses, you know, you've got work experience and so on. But do you feel we need to do more? Do you think there needs to be a new evolution of the, the old style work experience, which leads to, you know, zoos creating more of a partnership with, with colleges all the way through to maybe more specialist uh, kind of direction, I guess you could argue, 
towards reptiles and mammals and so on. What do you think? Some zoos, or some colleges kind of do this. So some colleges have a partnership with a zoo and they will send a certain number of students every year. And, and with universities as well, Chess is very good that with Chester University, it's Chester University. Um, when I was at, I went to Maris Wood in Guildford and they had kind of partnerships with places around there um, and it made it easy for us to go to certain places. So that's really, really good. And I think having those partnerships worked really, really well. But again, having those expectations, and I suppose I'm putting a lot of emphasis here on the zoos and the colleges, but again, let's look at that emphasis on the student themselves. If you are a student and you want to do this role, you should be making the best of that situation that you can. And you should be looking for these places to go and do work experience. And if you want to work with Komodo dragons, then you should be looking out there and looking for the research out there. You should be reading. Reading is really important. I should have mentioned that earlier in terms of like, like preparing yourself. I've got lots of books. I like books. I told you I've read the new legislation. I read the old research paper in every now and then. Things I don't necessarily have to read, but you should be reading to find out what the latest developments are. Ours are very good at the moment, putting together lots of husbandry guides. Um, have a look at husbandry guides. It might not be relevant for the country you're in and so on, but they are kind of generic points. Yeah, really, really well put. And that leads us to the next question. And that is the age old question of what should I pick? three years experience or three years in the form of an educational degree or an equivalent, what way should I go? You know, and this is a big, big question in the industry. Ben, good luck to you. What do you think? I kind of am on the fence, arguably, because lots of zoos want you to have an education and lots of the time they won't give you a job without the experience. So how are you supposed to get that initial experience? You can go through volunteering. But then if you're volunteering for three years, you might as well go and get your education. So it's kind of all loops about. I am really, at the end of the day, a believer of going to get your education and doing, making the most of your work experience. At the moment, my year one students have to do 150 hours of work experience in their first year to pass the course. In their second year, they have to complete 315 hours of work experience. It's a lot of time, but that's a lot of time that you could be using to get amazing experience somewhere. And those expectations should be pretty much the same between colleges all across the country. So there is that opportunity to get that experience. But again, the emphasis is on you as a want-to-be zookeeper to go out and get those experiences and find those things. And um, it was something I was quite good at doing, quite good at going and finding work experience and so on. I did lots of work experience in my level three. I am. Um, I went to the big cat sanctuary in Kent. That was great. Two weeks there. There was a wolf sanctuary in Reading. I don't think that's there anymore. I'm saying all these things you can't do anymore, but still, there's still amazing things that you can go and do. And don't just look at the big collections. Look at these smaller collections for work experience as well. Don't just be like, I'm going to be a zookeeper and I'm going to end up at London or Chester or Whipsnade or whatever. Look at the other places. There's so many other amazing little zoos around. There's so many little small private collections around. Go to them for work experience as well. Totally, really, really well put. Now, the next question then, for anyone who's looking to come into the industry or simply be a zookeeper overall, what course in the educational field would you recommend? You know, what is out there to, to progress the, the wisdom within the industry, to enhance the knowledge and, and to hopefully set them up for, for a forward thinking career and hopefully that stepping stone within the career? So there is no set answer, I would say to this. Now, if you were going into level three, animal management is the easy answer there. Animal management is the standard level three. Some might offer a zoo pathway or a science pathway. 
the standard hour arrangement. If you're looking at degree and higher, again, look at those job listings and they just say animal related degree. Not often are they specific. If they're specific, they might say zoology. Um, lots of people tend to have done zoology, but I didn't. And from what I hear, um, and my wife is actually currently studying zoology. She doesn't want to be a keeper, but she wants to do something else. But it's incredibly science based, like massive, massive science based. You're not going to be going in and learning how to be a keeper. You're going to go learn and the biological systems of the animals potentially you're looking after. I did my foundation degree on behaviour and welfare, which I found really, really beneficial because I understand the legislation and so on and the expectations through welfare. And I understand how to look at an animal and truly try and interpret it how it is acting for behavior and i have an understanding of training and so on and stuff like that and um, some people just go do a standard animal management degree depends really is find the one you are interested in and go from there now there is the standard dimza through um spatial which um forgive me i can't remember what it stands for now and um, pretty much everyone knows what the dimza is and um, it tends to be lots of current keepers that do that you do get lots of new people into it as well. You get lots of current keepers doing that as well. And often, if you go get a job, they will put you on it. And you can let them pay for it rather than you pay for it yourself. In terms of payment, if you are over 18 and you are worried about funding an education course, there is lots of funding out there for you. Okay, so the government have recently changed the kind of things that they were looking at. Um, they will help you with qualifications in terms of things like environmental uh, conservation. Sorry. So if you're looking to get out keeping, looking to do something else, or you're kind of just looking at that kind of conservation side and you want to study that to kind of move on to animal, they will offer funded help for that. They'll offer funded help for things like agriculture as well, if that's something you want to move into. And um, if you want to move completely out of zookeeping, you've got engineering, they help with stuff like that. And if you want to do teaching and lecturing, they will also fund courses for that. Have a look online, have a look at the free courses that are available to you. You shouldn't be paying for certain things at the moment. They are desperate, especially for lecturers and so on, desperate for them in a lot of places. And they will pay you, or if you want to go be a teacher, science teacher, lots of people, biology teachers I've known zookeepers to go and do, they will pay for your training and they will pay you well. I think in some cases up to about £26,000, they will give you in funding to go and do it as well. Um, so have a look at what is available in your local area. Um, if you're not sure, I'm happy for people to contact me and ask me for advice on things like getting back into education and stuff. So if I'm not quite given the answer here, um, yeah, people can find me on Facebook or whatever and send me a message. I'm, I'm not an Instagram person, but I will occasionally look at Facebook and you can send me a message on that. It's not a problem. Some really nice stuff there and, and very nice of you to offer your assistance. Now, I've got one more question for you then, Ben, and that is, you know, lecturing, whether it be in a, a college setting, university setting or so on. What does it take? You know, I'm sure it's no easy feat. I've not done it myself. You're definitely the man to ask what exactly goes into it and what's required patience <laughs> easily um i think remembering you are no longer really working with animals i think that's often the key thing i have practical lessons my practical lessons are now maybe three or four and a half hours a week out of my what used to be sometimes six days a week practical job and um, you are with people and it's really important to remember and you are with students and you will have to deal with lots of 
emotions, lots of difficulties in life and so on, looking at students and helping them through those kinds of things. Now, obviously, there are places and help for that in colleges, but people will talk to you. And often I have found being an ex-keeper, people are interested in you, you make that connection and people talk to you. So having that kind of people-friendly approach is really, really important. Um, and being able to deal with that side of things. In terms of the education, you know it. In reality, if you're working in industry now, you have the knowledge. Don't doubt the knowledge that you have. If you have been working in a zoo for even a year, you have really good knowledge. And I am a firm believer, really, you should qualify, go work in industry, and then go teach because you have more things to talk about. I have loads of pictures and things that I show students all the time. I have memories and things I talk about. Okay, they're getting further and further away in my mind in terms of as years pass, and I will start to forget them, and I will have to go and do some work experience myself soon. But the more and more we do, the more it kind of helps us. But yeah, you have that knowledge. Never doubt your knowledge as a person. You are much smarter than you think. If you aren't comfortable standing up and talking in front of people, it gets easier. I hated doing it. I absolutely hated it. Um, but you just kind of have to go for it. That's really hard to kind of really explain to everyone individually. You have that in yourself to find that kind of drive just to overcome your mind to go for it. But we all have it in us. We all have that ability to do these things. It's just unlocking it in ourselves to kind of go for it. Um, sometimes it takes a bit of time, but yeah, we are all more than capable of teaching in reality. It's it's not, you get half turns as well. It's half turn at the moment. Oh no, it ends tomorrow, but <laughs> they get summer off. It's great. I get to travel. I went to Costa Rica last year for two weeks. Um, okay, I took 19 students and it was not a holiday, but I had an amazing time. I get to go to Africa next year with some students like you, there's perks to the job and um, lots of holidays. So yeah, absolutely. Sounds uh, sounds very, very much a rewarding industry slash role to, to be part of. Now, we are out of the big questions. You'll be happy to know, Ben, you've survived. I do have one little question to add on to it, though, and it's more of a personal one for you. And that is, you know, we've touched on it a little bit, but with, you know, the educational field within the animal industry, within the zoo industry, you've talked about obviously a change of career for yourself, change of role that is from, you know, a zookeeper to uh, lecturing. Do you still feel part of the industry, though? And and what I must say, not just for this podcast, you obviously are still part of this this industry, still part of the collective of zookeepers, because the term zookeeper doesn't just mean one thing in the modern day. It means about 20. And that is educationist, um, which is what exactly you are. So I guess the question is, as we've alluded to beforehand, do we need to be closer? Are we doing enough? Or do you simply just still feel part of the industry, which hopefully that is the case and that would be great if it is yeah i suppose i feel part of it because i make myself part of it and like i said i i attend at least the impact symposium every year if i can do a little bit more i would try and do a little bit more but that's how i feel part of it and i talk to people i still there's a few people i still talk to in the industry i am really bad with communication i get massive um oh, just self-doubt in terms of talking to people i used to work with and i I get quite a bit of anxiety around that. So if you ever do feel anxious about those things, it is very normal. And at times I felt, felt like difficulty contacting people I used to work with as much as I wanted to, but other times I don't and I just go for it. So it's, it's as much as we make it in ourselves to be part of it. If I wasn't doing those things, 
and I wasn't getting involved myself. Would I feel involved? Probably not, not so much. I think some zoos are quite good at doing educated days and stuff like that and offering things out. I haven't seen so much in this part of the country, not to say there's not, um, but having moved from, so I taught initially in Epsom at Nescott College, lots around there. I then moved to Hadlow, which is in Kent, lots of things around there. Now at Duchy in Cornwall, it's a smaller population. There's obviously not going to be as much. There's not going to be as many experiences for people in certain parts of the country. So it's kind of, again, how we make of it ourselves and how much we push ourselves to be in it. Yeah, totally. Now, let me lead you then, Ben, to the quick fire round. It's part of this episode where we come to the end. We try and fire through these questions. But as we've learned, zookeepers love to talk. So I'm sure it's going to erupt into conversation. But let's give it a go. Number one. What is your favourite animal? Right, it was not anything I'd ever worked with, which I would love to meet. And if someone wants to introduce me to their ones of these, I will happily jump on that occasion. But naked mole rats, they are the best thing. I love naked mole rats. I think they're great. Um, I think everything about them is amazing. The way that they live, the um, social societies that they live in, the fact that they like are immune to cancer and things like this. I just think they're great. I mean, they're ugly as sin, but they're just... Oh, they're beautiful, really. I love them. What a cracking answer. I would not have guessed that one. And what I will say is if anyone is listening and wants to hook him up, please do. Uh, yeah, please. Absolutely I want to be an <laughs> Okay. Well, the next one then is what is your top tip for mental health and well-being? Um, something I truly discovered moving to where I live now is the fresh air. It's walking. Now, that's not to say you can't do that. There's things if you live near the cities or wherever, because you can. There are places you can do this having time outside now i understand a lot of keeper roles their jobs are outside my job is not so much outside it used to be to the point that so much actually really randomly when i stopped being a keeper and i started teaching i started to feel really tired all the time and i had to go to the doctors and it found out it's because i wasn't in the sun enough and um, no, i wasn't getting enough, it's enough vitamin d so i had to go on supplements because i was outside all the time and i wasn't and it was crazy um but outside go outside spend some time just go for a 10 minute walk um, really, really important for your mental health. Some really great advice. Now, the next question I've got for you then is really left field, and that is, what is your favourite film? Arguably a trilogy, but it's got to be Lord of the Rings, and then I'd probably say The Fellowship. My favourite films ever. Probably had more of an effect on my personality and who I am than animals have. But I love those films. And again, if anyone ever wants to talk about Lord of the Rings, we can do that all day. A great, great choice. Okay, so the next one then is what is the best part of the industry? Inspire. I kind of, teaching is for everyone in reality, and um, we can all do it, but I like that inspire thing. I like how I can bring things out in people, that self-doubt people have in themselves and how I can show them there's a whole other side to things and so on. I'm not saying I'm the best at that, but I'm clearly good enough because I only see my students come to great things and I love the things that they do and I'm so proud of every single one of them. It's that great feeling inside to the end of every academic year, not to eagerly wave them off because I'm thrilled to see them go, and but it's because I'm so happy for them to um, go off and do new stuff that hopefully I've had an impact on, which is really, really good. Um, and I suppose for keeping, I suppose, yeah, as well, like people are inspired by you, like every zookeeper is essentially essentially like a hero to someone like people go to the zoo and they see you do it and they think christ i'd love to do that and they, that pushes them even more to want to do what they want to do so always think be proud in the job that you guys are doing like i know with some rural keepers but 
or we're all in the industry, but I'm not a keeper anymore. I inspire in different ways, but yeah, I think you guys are actually still keeping inspired massively. It's really important. Absolutely. A great answer. Now, the next one could take you absolutely anywhere in the world, and that is globally. What zoo would you like to visit and why? Probably Leipzig. I've not, I've been to lots of, a few American zoos. It's a Roman zoo, but otherwise that's about it, really abroad. But I want to go to some pangolins. I'm pretty sure Leipzig's down to pangolins. So I, want to to those. I want to see the uh, Gondwana land as well. That'd be pretty cool. I want to see that kind of biome set up, that rainforest set up. I love that kind of thing. I also love uh, just an old zoo. I love architecture. Um, I probably collect more zoo architecture books than anything else now. Um, I find them fascinating. There are some great zoo architecture books out there. And again, if you want any help on those, I can suggest them. A great answer and a very popular answer at that. I'm sure that is going to come up many, many times. Um, no, no doubt about that. Now, the next one then is what one trait or a tribute inside yourself has allowed you to progress and become the person you are and get you to the position you're in today? Thank my wife for this answer because I found this really difficult, but I'm work focused. That's what she tells me anyway, <laughs> in terms of when I set my mind to a goal that I want to achieve, I tend to get it done. In terms of like, I decided I wanted to be a keeper, I became a keeper. I decided I want to teach, I am now a, I'm a lecturer. Like I knew what I wanted. I worked incredibly hard to get where I am. Long days, long months, long years, so on low pay, um, no time. I didn't see friends and family for a bit. I'm not saying that's a healthy way to do it, it wasn't a healthy way to do it, um, but I worked my yeah great trait to have as many zookeepers do now the next one i've got for you then is if you weren't doing the role you're doing today what would you be doing so i have something in mind that i considered kind of moving into a few years ago and i suppose i didn't really because of money and i needed money at the time which is not always a great kind of way to look at it it's money shouldn't matter but it does and um, as many keepers will find out as they kind of move through it because we all know the money's not great and um, i'd love to be a collections manager whether it's in a small collection somewhere or what, I'd love to kind of have that responsibility in someone um, and have that say and that planning, that collections planning, being able to kind of shape somewhere and um, something I thought people would enjoy. I think that would, I'd love to do that. Yeah, great, great answer. Now, reflecting a previous question then, what do you still feel we need to improve within the industry? I suppose it really comes down to that link. I know we've said that and that's a bit of an easy answer there, but that link between what colleges and zoos are doing colleges if they're not aware need to be aware of the changes that are happening in the next couple of years for education in terms of the t levels coming in they should be looking at that um colleges at the very minimal they should be doing looking at the new legislations coming in and seeing how we need to change what we're teaching to meet those needs um because it will need a bit of an overhaul there we go another one smashed out of the park now we're coming to the end second to last question need to be a bit more personal with you now though and i need to find out who within the industry is your idol we mentioned Chesterton earlier and i think a lot of Chesterton keepers will say this is um a sandwich bread over there who he was the head of hoofstock he's now the zoo manager he was amazing in reality in terms of the opportunities that he gave us to do stuff and the things that he let me do or the things he taught me to do was you know, once in a lifetime opportunities at some point of like he had that faith and I think that faith from our managers and that trust is so important and that trust he had in us allowed so many of us to do so well and kind of flourish from there and um, obviously that was a couple of years ago in terms of a current inspiration and um, I mentioned him earlier that Joe Cook who I don't know if people know him he 
is amazing. I love Joe. He is like an animal technician, but like he's like a kind of collection manager, but um, Howzer in college, um, and he has done incredibly well in terms of he's set up an organisation that links um, all the technicians and zoos together. Um, he's going to kill me because I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now, and I might have to look it up. Um, but he has done so well to kind of set up this organization and bring so many people together. The UK Animal Care Technicians Group, um, UCAT, I think it's called, they do a lot of good work and he's doing kind of a little kind of mini symposiums through that and so on. He gets lots of people in to do talks and so on. And he's set up a bit of an organization so it helps um, technicians in colleges kind of all linked together and I suppose arguably run a bit more like zoos but also have that connection there um, so because we get keepers often stop being keepers and go to work in colleges and often technicians in colleges go into, into zoos and so on so there should be a better connection there overall but yeah he, massive inspiration because I love watching the work that he does so yeah Sam and Joe yeah some really great and loving words there now we're on that final question I now need you to condense this whole episode this whole industry I want you to sum up the whole industry we work in in only three words it's hard work was that two words <laughs> incredibly physically demanding so I'm explaining my single words here it's challenging in terms of the things that you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis you never know what the that day is going to bring in. You never know what you're going to walk into in the morning and find, or what's going to happen five minutes before the end of your shift. You just don't know. So being prepared for that. But I suppose most importantly, and I'm sure you agree with this, and everyone should agree with it. It's rewarding. It's so unbelievably rewarding. And again, I didn't do it for a massive amount of time, but I'm so proud of that time that I did it for, and I got so much out of it. And I still talk to people about it now. Sometimes family will still ask me about it and so on about when I did it. And it's just, it brings us so much and it, such great memories from the things that we all do when we are, are work keepers. And there we go. What a great way to sum up this industry and pull this episode to a close. For myself and the listeners, Ben, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your stories, your words of wisdom and everything college, university and education based. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I was really, really chuffed that you asked. So thank you so much. And yeah, again, if anyone ever wants to kind of ask me any questions in terms of getting into education or looking into teaching and so on, please do not hesitate to contact me. You can just find me on Facebook. Just find Ben Cherry. I'm we're more than likely have friends in common because everyone in the zoo knows each other and I've got lots of random zoo people. So yeah, just look me up. Very much so. It's been great having you on once again, Ben, and hopefully we'll get you on again very, very soon. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been amazing. Take care until then. Yeah, cheers. Bye. 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 And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.